And I got to say, this is probably the actual first time you ever seen a black man swim to a fight. <laughs> Wait, you forgot about Montgomery, boy. <laughs> no, this, this came out before. So oh, that's right. That's right. That's what it's so Montgomery, boy, might have actually been inspired here. <laughs> See what Calvin's doing for the black community. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year. Smart Water won an award. And I know what you're thinking, but it's not that one. It's a device, a liquid containing a code that can be seen under ultraviolet light intended to be applied to valuable items. So if they're stolen and recovered by police, the original owner can be determined after sampling it in a lab. Okay, that's really kind of cool technology. What, what happened to that? I don't know. <laughs> Why is smart water out here thriving and we just buying bottles of it? Meanwhile, this is way better. I, I have no idea why. It, we haven't heard more of this. It's not used more. But also, coincidentally, Glasso Smart Water was also founded the same year. So <laughs> maybe people got them confused and, and, and was scared. I don't know. Or even worse, everybody who's out there buying smart water, you're all being tracked right now. I'll stick to Dizani. Hashtag definitely not sponsored. <laughs> but speaking about the Wakandan of waters, I feel <laughs> we're going to be talking about a very magical, scientific, but well, actually not too much science in this one, of a very magical place. Right? <laughs> not any science I can see. <laughs> <laughs> At least it won't be as bad science as we saw in Bat Batman and Throne of Atlantis. No oh. characters would be hurt by water pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is right, because we are still in our DC universe, still in our Young Justice universe as Earth-16. Um, we are covering episodes 14 through 17 of Young Justice Phantoms. Uh, this is also called the Aquaman arc here, because once again, we are focusing on the original set of heroes from the original team. And this one in particular is going to be focused on Calderam, who went by the codename of Aqualad. But thankfully, in season three, we recognized that, you know, he gave him a seat at the table. And my boy became Aquaman. I mean, Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are going to be covering, once again, episodes 14 through 17, titled Nautical Twilight, Ebb Tide, Emergency Dive, and Leviathan Awakes. Um, how do we uh, do it in backwards, though? Uh, <laughs> I almost started saying something about Twilight, and this sound is so bad. I felt like it, I would have got canceled for what I was about to say. Um, we'll figure that out, or we'll just leave it to Satana or whoever brave soul out there is listening and wants to try it out. But fun fact, the first three episodes of our batch here are the three-part premiere of the second half of the season. So once we left y'all with the Zatanna arc, that closed in December of uh, 2020, I believe, or 2021. And then we came back. Uh, we had to wait three months now <laughs> before we got any new episodes on HBO Max, which was, again, going by HBO Max at the time. 
Um, the studio responsible for the animation was Studio Murr, and the timing of these episodes is from April 19th through July 3rd. Um, four episodes <laughs> with a crazy time jump. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and once again, because we were focusing on our boy here, this is going to be called the Calderam Aquaman episode. And speaking of, uh, Calderon is voiced by Carrie Payton. Um, we've got following up after him is Robbie Damon, who has been voicing Spider-Man as of late on the Disney Marvel side of animation. Uh, he is voicing Wind and Danmuth. Uh, speaking of another Marvel animation person, we got the voice of Captain America as Roger Craig Smith is voicing Orm, the Ocean Master. It's quite a difference in personalities. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, David Kay is returning from our last set of episodes once again today as the voice of Vandal Savage, as well as his son, who is returning from mysterious circumstances, as we have Arian, the first king of Atlantis, is returning here today. Uh, we first introduced her in our attempt of trying to create kind of like a luchador wrestling style announcement. But today we have Tia Sakar. <laughs> um, from The Good Place, who was voicing Dolphin, who is now going by the name of Delphise as her official government name. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I know they must have been doing something with this next one here because it is kind of funny that both the paternal figures in Calderon's life are voiced by Phil Lamar. As Phil Lamar is voicing King Orin, a.k.a. Arthur Curry, a.k.a the first Aquaman, and Calvin Durham, his actual <laughs> uh, stepfather here. From San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Tara Strong, who is voicing Cal's mother here, Shailania. And finally, we have uh, Queen Mira, who is voiced by somebody who's... Uh, it took, this was very shocking for me because um, the more I heard her voice, the more I was like, I know this person from somewhere. Is her name is Kath Sushi. However, you know her as the voice of Phil and Lil from the Rugrats. <laughs> Hubert Farnsworth from Futurama, Linka and Captain Planet, Mira Bridger in Star Wars Rebels, as well as a bunch of other characters in Star Wars history, and even going all the way back to Kanga in the Winnie the Pooh series. Kanga? Okay, yeah. that one caught me off guard. <laughs> I was like, okay, I know Phil and Lil are here, but Kanga? <laughs> yeah, it is wild. I was not expecting those two to be have like everybody here to have the same voice actress. Um, but while we were left here in shock, we gave you everything you need to know. So let's say the tube over to the beginning of Nautical Twilight. So we, <laughs> I mean, we're gonna cover a large span of time here. We go all the way back to the day that Artemis found out that Superboy died. Aquaman and Dick are by each other. Uh, I, I do sh want to say Calder from now on because you'll see later with the multiple Aquaman. Mm. Um, so Calder is just here reflecting, saying like all this mourning that's going on doesn't even seem real. And Dick actually steps forward and says, I, I think you need to take a break, man. You didn't take off time to mourn Tula. You didn't take time to mourn Wally, in fact, I left you holding the bag on that one. You should take a break before it breaks you. But Aquaman insists, uh, no, I am still um, in charge of a lot of things. I have to take care of a conference down in Poseidonus. 
So I'm going to go and do that. And we already know things are going to go bad because Ocean Master is back. <laughs> yeah, uh, this is, you know, this threw my head for a roll here because the last time we saw him, his head was rolling <laughs> after uh, Lady Shiva had decapitated him back in season three when he was doing extreme babysitting uh, or <laughs> creepy babysitting rather. <laughs> um, So this is where we hop on over to this conference center where we see that Lagan and Arthur are trying to navigate what's going on. Mostly there's a wide, oh my gosh, I'm mad I just got this reference of Arthur King Arthur at the round table. He is mm. <laughs> present with every single delegate of the uh, different nations of that make up Atlantis. Um, so he's also also there with them is Queen Mira, who uses a translation spell so that everyone will be able to understand each other. And this is where we get the introduction of Volko, Ondine, Garth, um, Calder, all who are of like have like seats within particular segments like of justice and war and weaponry and all that kind of stuff. And then we also get introduced to um, the, the various city states that make up Atlantis and their representatives such as Lord Ronald, um, Prime Minister Tapo, who, for people, he's going to be in the um, the Aquaman 2 Lost Kingdom uh, live action movie that's coming up soon, I believe. You know, if it doesn't get canceled again. <laughs> Let's go. Emissary <laughs> uh, Coral and our favorite, much other people, um, including the first citizen of Shearis, Calvin Doram, who is, as we know, Cal's father. And most importantly, King Nanue Sha'ark, who is a shark. <laughs> nice callback. Yeah. Um, so the they're trying to get this meeting rolling, but w one point of tension already is the fact that Zebel, a, a delegate from Zebel, which is Mira's hometown, uh, isn't here. They didn't send anybody. <laughs> they're like, you know what? You're gonna sit out this seven seas meeting. So the rest of the delegation is already feeling disrespected and feeling like they're not gonna get much done if everybody's not fully in. Um. And while this heaviness is going on, uh, they decide let's adjourn the meeting until Zebel sends literally anybody. <laughs> um, and we get to meet even younger Justice as Aquaboy uh, is playing around with our favorite undersea nemesis, Lagoon Man. Now, Lagoon Man. Yeah, uh, like he got a little, he got a little beard or something going on, like a goatee. <laughs> um, also, he's going to be a father. Uh, that's another thing that kind of dropped off. <laughs> Surprise. Um, <laughs> So we also get reintroduced to Dolphin, who is now going by Delphi's. I have no idea why they made this change, but I am happy. So I don't have to spend this episode calling out Dolphin all the time. <laughs> As they're going to have a nice afternoon, make the best of the adjourned meeting, we cut hard cut to somewhere where Superboy wakes up. He is fully transparent and he's next to one of the Legionnaires that was on the ground. And recognizes they're both cold. So automatically assumes they're dead. Mm -hmm. um, and while we get a cliffhanger on that, we find out that algae under the sea is where it's at. Oh, yes, because algae apparently is, uh, let's just say, an adult beverage. Um, we don't, or adult <laughs> meal. We don't, uh, it's something. But during this time, Wind is with Calder. Um, just to reiterate for other for people, um, back in season three, it was uh, shown that Calder is actually in a relationship with this man. Um, so showing that Calder 
that now identifies as a member of the LGBTQ community. He is there with his partner and the two of them are hanging out with Delphise because Delphise is commenting on how much nicer Poseidonus is compared to Shearis. Um, it might, I was almost going to say it's a lot like we go to see in certain, certain parts of New York, but I mean, it is what it is. <laughs> um, but they're talking about this and how there is a lot of dialogue about how um, the city states are feeling this way about how certain areas of theirs look so pale in comparison to areas of Poseidonus and one equality for everything. So as they're having this conversation, they do see that one of the um, one of the city state prime ministers, Lori Lamaris, is there. Uh, Lori is a dolphin, not a dolphin, a mermaid, actually. So this is, I mean, mermaid for our eyes. So <laughs> wind and Lori seem to have a history as Wind apparently had sided with a set of purists back in the day. Um, unsure quite what that means as of now. We'll find out later on. However, someone does come in to interrupt, and that is King Shark, who's a shark who's quite upset over one more time of the negative impacts that Lori's nation has had on his area. This leads into a basically a bar argument that gets turned into a bar fight because Calder has swum up and knocked King Shark in the face with a punch so hard. And I got to say, this is probably the actual first time you ever seen a black man swim to a fight. <laughs> Wait, you forgot about Montgomery, boy. <laughs> no, this, this came out before. So oh, that's right. That's right. That's what it's so Montgomery boy might have actually been inspired here. <laughs> See what Calder's doing for the black community. Fortunately, uh, it doesn't, no chairs are thrown. Uh, no one's thrown off the docks this time. They decide to cut the fight, keep the tensions down. So elsewhere, we cut back to Violet, who, after waiting for her uh, not brother, I, I I don't really know how to describe the relationship because, uh, you know, she's taking, assuming the body of his dead sibling. Um, so let's say her stepbrother <laughs> um, waits for the stepbrother to leave the house and goes to meet up with her mother and in a really nice bit of writing they both kind of recognize each other and by calling each other names but realizing that's not their identity Violet's like mom but you're not my mom in response her mother goes uh, Gabrielle but actually you're Violet so they they have this moment where they're sitting down and we get a little background that Violet was able to get visas for her, her sibling and mother. Um, and there's also a nice bit of dialogue that is so um, realistic where she says, her mother says, I was an eye surgeon um, in Karak, but here I sell sunglasses mm. until my medical license and credentials can be transferred over somehow. As they're enjoying small talk, she's like, okay, why are you really here, Violet? And that's where Violet reveals that she is here to follow up on conversations that have been happening in the background, that um, she wants to learn more about Islam and Islam faith. As we're about to start this serious conversation, we cut to Bishop Beluga. And that's the transition the show did, so that's what I'm giving you. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it is very sudden. It really is. Um you get introduced to Bishop Beluga, who is wearing a hat that is way too big for him. And he is here to represent Zebul. Um, of course, though, King Orin is underwhelmed. He's he's quite upset over the fact that his uh, father-in-law continues to almost disrespect the proceedings that he's been trying to do. 
So he calls this, uh, with everyone now present, he calls this conference to order. Immediately, this turns into an absolute shit show, though, because um, King King Sha'ark, he is going after Lori about the the way that her land has been taken over the area of which is his um his feeding grounds for his people, and he wants some kind of reparations for that. At the same time, everybody is still going back and forth over the lack of work that's being done to make sure that everybody is getting that same level of respect that Poseidonus is getting. There's even a call out to at one point that um, Cal Duram of um, Shearis, formerly of San Diego, shouldn't <laughs> even be there. Uh, and he's probably there because he's a, a ne Nepo, well, not a Nepo baby, a Nepo, Nepo daddy. Nepo, Nepo daddy. daddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that sounded nasty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but with his nipple daddy status, um, it's really causing a quick downfall of these proceedings. Of course, though, because we were in Young Justice, we love these hard cuts. We immediately jump back over to Superboy's dimension where he does figure out that they can't be dead. He and the girl that he's seen there that's unconscious laying before him because he can sense his heartbeat. He can see that she he can hear her heartbeat and see that she's breathing. And he decides to pick her up to just jump around to see if they could find some kind of exit in some way, shape, or form to head back home in some way. At the same time, though, an attack has begun and it is done by Ocean Master, who has arrived with a glowing trident of some sort. Yes, and if you've seen, I guess, pretty much any Aquaman movie ever, you know that's that's no good. Orm shouldn't have a trident. Um, but... <laughs> it's like you should not even have a fork. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also do want to quickly mention that another when they're uh, <laughs> when they're shouting out the Nepo Daddy's lack of credentials, they're like, "You betrayed Manta, took his woman, and went undersea." Oh, I, ju right. I just wanted to mention that lie because this San Diego man is a true savage. Um, Vandal Savage would be proud. Um, so. <laughs> Um, now Orm is there boxing everybody at the co conference and King Arthur is absolutely clowned. I can see why he lost the title of Aquaman because my man is out with one punch. Um, <laughs> Mirror's magic is not working and even um, the power of the thruple is not working either. All three of them together can't do anything. So Delphi's has to hit him with the solar flare uh, technique as seen in Dragon Ball Z. Um, and e even that's just a distraction. So eventually, um, out of nowhere, a man wielding lightning, unfortunately not black lightning because he cannot survive these deep pressures, um, comes in and just saves the day. He instantly stops Orm right in his tracks. And <laughs> Aquaman, the OG King Arthur, has walks away from swims away from this battle, having accomplished absolutely nothing. We do cut back over to um, Violet. Um, we, we've had several conversations with Violet, um, but for the sake of time, we're condensing into, you know, a summary of what's happening. And a, she talks about the hijab and how that is, you know, should I wear it, should I not? And her mother says, you know, it's a reminder of faith. You choose whether to don it. Some people see it as a reminder of, of doing good, like superhero costumes. Uh, some people see it as a sign of humility um, so that you have to look past uh, physical appearance and really get to know someone. Uh, so she 
her mother's constant theme is that Islam ha- is a religion with an, an open meanings um, and d- different interpretations of, of lessons. So just take from that what you will if you're interested in pursuing this journey. And they kind of end the conversation talking about the notion of God. And in a really bizarre comparison, when they're talking about God, Violet thinks about Granny Goodness and how she proclaimed herself to be a god, which I didn't think was a thing, <laughs> unless I missed something. Um, like, the rest of the conversation is great, but that comparison was a little jarring to see Granny Goodness in a conversation about Islam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say maybe it's because of the fact that they kept referring to them as new gods and like Violet being you know, still relatively new to this world, still understanding the concept of this. So, like, I, I hope that at some point someone will correct her and be like, no, no, Granny Goodness was not a god whatsoever. She was, <laughs> we do, that is no god. <laughs> <laughs> um, But it is a very nice conversation. And it also does, um, during at one point, her mother or her, her um, this motherly figure that she now has does share with her that she does know that Violet is the superhero Halo as well. So that's nice, also a nice moment for them because it is showing that they can have a full candid conversation without Violet trying to hide something more from herself, from her, uh, from this person. Meanwhile, we hop back over to the um, to the conference where everybody's recovering. Um, also, going to share too that um, Lagoon Boy or Lagan, uh, he is the person that we had mentioned that was in the thruple here, um, the one that's also pregnant. So he does tend to both his. Um, it, I, I'm not entirely too sure what to. What, oh, he does. Were, he does refer to them as husband and wife. Okay, yeah. I yeah. just wanted to make sure. Okay, yeah. He does mm-hmm. tend to his husband and wife. Um, meanwhile, everybody is still trying to figure out who was the guy that like took on um, Orm and was able to defeat him so easily when they all struggled. This is when Mira keeps mentioning a prophecy to Orin. And Orin's just like, yo, we can't talk about that right now because everybody is injured and we need to check in to see one, um, if anyone was hurt, two, if the of if Beluga Boy thing, <laughs> he's good because he's the only representative we got. And also, most importantly, who can we send out to see um, if Ocean Master might still be around? And this is where we kind of get a bit of a hard cut here because Ocean Master does race back to his um his underwater cave uh, fortress thing, which is literally just a, a cave. Uh, and he's there with his assistant, Danuth. Who he's questioning too is like, does do you know who this person was? And Danuf is very scared. He's like, I don't know who who he was, Prince um Prince Orm. And this is when he Orm takes off his mask and says, I will no longer be going by Prince. My true name now is Ocean Master. And <laughs> he's Noba Comics. Where you got yeah, word. Um, <laughs> but in another scene, though, is the after credit scene. We do see one person who has decided to um take on a new identity of sorts as uh Violet Harper is having this conversation with Harper Rowe. And Violet shares that after the conversation and the visit that went with um Madia, she decided that she doesn't really adhere to the genders of like male or female. She doesn't really feel that she's a she her. So because of the of the fact that she she knows that she's part Gabrielle and part mother box, she decides that her true gender is non-binary. And moving forward, she would prefer to go by they them pronouns. And Harper is just very happy to introduce Violet to the world as she, they are the best person that she knows. 
am glad they took this moment because they did have a smaller beat about this in a in a previous season when Artemis asked about pronouns. Mm-hmm. But um, it is nice that they um, take the time to let Violet fully express so there's no ambiguity about it. Um, so as uh, as we go into, you know, we're reeling over the prophecy of the super legendary super duper underwater sand um, and <laughs> what will happen next to the Ocean Master. Uh, we head into Eptide where Superman is enjoying a nice piece of pie, presumably. And then maybe Key Lime if he's hanging out with Loki. And uh, <laughs> it's interrupted by two Legionnaires pulling up. And they're like, yo, can you, Superman, can, we need Superman right now. Like, we don't need you eating pie. And that hard cut, we go back to the kingdom where everyone is like, yo, King Arthur, you really messed that one up, bro. Like, you didn't do anything (laughs) for us. So there's unrest everywhere. And, and even he recognizes, I got to do more. This is not enough. Um, But Again, we don't have time to get into that because we got to go to the adventures of the lost Superboy. <laughs> yeah, uh, Superboy is here. He is hopping from rock to rock, leaping in single bounds while carrying this unconscious girl. And the more he's trying to keep himself sane in there, he's just having these one-sided conversations with her. And he's like, you know, maybe I should call you something rather than, um, you know, just talk, say calling you whatever I think about calling you. And he announces to... Um, himself in the crowd that he decided to call this girl Ghosty, um, which he admits is not the best name. He's not really good with naming things, um, but he still says it's better than Coma Girl. And I got to say, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think that tested well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think many 10 out of uh, 10 dentists agreed on this one as well. <laughs> um, so as he's hopping around, he is using his infrared to keep track of where they can go because he does see that there's a heat trail and he's hoping that it will lead to somewhere useful. And as he's jumping from rock to rock, unfortunately, that heat trail turns into this giant monster fish-like thing that the only way I can describe it is as you know, that fish from like Finding Nemo when it had the little ball, mm. the lantern fish, I think they're called. Yeah. Um, but it was like this with a tail and it scared the bejesus out of me. I did not like it. And I, too, was yelling out, yelling out my all, my all, my all as Superboy <laughs> was when this thing was coming at him. Yeah, because it can hit him, but he can't hit it. So you get some deep scratches. Um, and as we find out what's you know left on the cliffhanger, what's going to happen to him, we go back under the sea and learn more about the prophecy. And basically, we essentially learn that what's happening right now is is starting to line up the prophecy. Three people, there's supposed to be a great calamity where three um, Atlanteans step up and stop it. And then after that, the crown is revealed and the new ruler is crowned. So Oren, I do give him the credit, Oren, Arthur, uh, interchangeably. Uh, I do give Arthur uh, the credit here where he's like, okay, a lot of this seems a little too convenient. Maybe somebody's trying to fake it to pull one over on us. Uh, so he pulls that out in the in the environment. Meanwhile, Aquaman Calder is at home and his parents are calling him up and saying, hey, um, you, you, I think we think you're stretched too thin. I think you're doing too much. You need to take a break. By the way, we sucked as parents. 
<laughs> and if you think I'm exaggerating, no, they do a flashback where Aquaman was working on the streets Facts. to try to support his family um, and get through. So while his mother was suffering from depression and um, his father, his stepfather was out on the streets, uh, they Calder stepped up. He was the adult. He took the classes. He became a warrior. So they're saying, we really appreciate you being the adult of the house while we were, were playing around like kids. But now it's the time for you to be you. And he's like, you know what? There's another emergency, so I'm going to go deal with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, because um, timing of this episode was on May 14th. And if we remember from the Titana arc, that was when the Chaos Lords were just like, you know what? We don't like uh, Clarion anymore. So we're just going to set the world on fire with the child. And this is the thing <laughs> that they have to attend to. Which, funny thing is, also ties very well to the prophecy due to the fact that there was supposed to be a Red Sea. So there's a giant pillar of fire coming out in the middle of the city. Of course, we got to handle that. We know it was solved. Um, however, before we get into how Atlanteans solved it, we got to hop back over to the skies of Metropolis where Superman flies up to meet up with Saturn Girl and Chame Chameleon Boy. Um, he shares that his good friend Clark told him that <laughs> they wanted to meet him much to both of their surprise because it was just like, dude, we, we called you Superman. We we know it's you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're having this conversation where Saturn Girl and Chameleon Boy are telling him that we don't have too much time to explain truly what's going on, but listen to us in the fact that we're from the future and um, we need your help in figuring out something in dealing with Superboy because we were supposed to prevent his death. However, we were able to do so some time ago, but something happened up now that um, we were failed to do so. And that might mean that our entire existence might come into um, to a situation of despair. And they offered to do a telepathic connection, but Superman's just like, nope, you're not getting in my mind, which he said so angrily that I was just like, I good point. But did something happen to you in the past where you were like, nah, no, no telepaths. <laughs> Some same thing that happened with monkeys and robots, I suppose. <laughs> We do get some details here that the Legionnaires can't go back because their time sphere was broken. Um, and they're only there because the bio ship got there. And he was like, Legionnaires, that's all you have to say. Cause I trust you now. Cause you're in the bio ship. <laughs> so we hop around a little bit here again. Superboy is in trouble trying to trying to fight, but doesn't make much ground at all, actually. <laughs> uh, so we go back under the sea where now in this Red Sea, um, Mira is trying to use her magic to hold it back single-handedly with this giant construct. Um, and Aquaman wants to help, but he's completely useless here. By which you mean Orin, King Orin. So. Yes, King Orin. Uh, God, this is going to... See, this is why the arc is so tricky. Uh, Orin uh, can't do anything but send the fish away. <laughs> That's all he can do. And... Even when <laughs> Lagoon Man's best friend Blubber, you guys remember Blubber, right? From all <laughs> all the episodes, um, everyone knows him. Uh, Blubber gets in trouble, can't swim fast enough underwater. So <laughs> this this is the funniest thing because my man was working hard. I'm not gonna lie, Blubber was working mad hard trying to get away. <laughs> and yes, unfortunately, it is also a fat joke. I don't know. <laughs> why this is happening but Oren nearly dies trying to save Blubber and he's only saved by the intervention of Orm who using the trident is able to help uh, Mira 
um, go back to Red Sea. Calder here is protecting Mira while she handles the construct. So now they're working together to try to stop the calamity. Um, else back, back around Earth, above the seas, we see that the Legionnaires have come to a good agreement with Superman. They're like, hey, just in case all this goes sideways, be at Happy Harbor 10 years from now at noon. We can't tell you why. Just be there. It was giving me real <laughs> Android vibes from mm-hmm, Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Be at X Island <laughs> <laughs> a few months from now. Take your heart meds, Goku. So they also express that at this point, they don't know if the reset works. They don't know if anything they're doing in the timeline is taking. So they're just going to have to hope for the best. And back under the sea, Orm makes a good point. <laughs> Who wants to be master of a dead ocean as he now fully commits to working with Mira again? And while they, the three of them, um, which mean Calder, um, Orm, and Mira are all working together, uh, we hop back over to this area where Superboy is trapped in. He's still battling this creature. He has to fight this thing somehow. So he ends up dropping Ghosty. Unfortunately, at one point, as he tries to um, hit the creature, he notices that his hand goes right through. And he realizes that it's just like before. He has to believe that he can hit it. Um, so he does so. And the more that he he's able to land one hit, but the more that he um, realizes that he's putting Ghosty in danger, he's realizing that his anger is the reason why this creature keeps coming after him. So he takes a beat. He thinks about the things that calm him down. And we get this really nice dream scene of him working on the motorcycle. Um, it's just the sound of him using a wrench to turn um, one of the screws on there. And it's just him, Wolf, Spear, and McGann just together. Uh, definitely post-engagement. And the creature now is able to go right by him and doesn't have to worry about anything at all. Uh, but we do have to worry about what's happening in Poseidon this because as Mira and Orm are still trying to use their magic to collapse this thing, um, the stranger, the hooded dude, comes up once again and yells out together as he provides additional uh, beam of energy to dissipate the giant pillar of fire. And by the work of all of them here, everybody was able to see that the three have come together to quell the Red Sea. And everybody starts yelling out, the prophecy, the prophecy, the prophecy. (laughs) The Super Saiyan has arrived. (laughs) So as uh, the people keep chanting, we cut back to above the the surface where at the Garrick home of Senior Flash, Senor Flash. Senor, 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 Senor Flash. <laughs> um, the Legionnaires show up to see Kid Flash. And I bet you're wondering what's going to happen with that. Don't worry about it. We're not covering that today because the show's not going to cover it in the next few episodes. Um, so we just get a quick post credits where um, Vandal says, oh, we have a new plan. Um Let's keep some key assets off world. Oh, and because this happened so quickly, uh, by the way, Orm immediately after saving um, Atlantis with everybody else tries to attack Mira. Once again, uh, <laughs> um, not many, not much anyone can do, but the new guy hits him one time with some lightning. Aquaman comes in with the one punch, just wanting 
<laughs> Wait, God, this Aquaman thing. Oren comes in with the one punch to his brother, just wanting to do something in this episode. Um, and captures his brother. And as we have all these chess pieces in place, we dive into emergency dive. Nice one. <laughs> <laughs> we open up now. It has been a couple of weeks. So now is on June 1st. We open up to Happy Harbor where um, McGann has arrived with Baby, the new bio ship. And she's brought it over to the car house um, where Forger is staying. And Forger's wearing a graduation cap. We'll talk about this later on. But <laughs> <laughs> Forger is just happy to meet uh, Baby. And he admits that even though he's saddened to hear about the um, the retirement of his old friend, he's happy to welcome a new one. And as they're talking about friends and family, this is this is what prompts Forger to ask again, like, have you talked to Garfield? And she's like, no, I've done like a couple of calls. And, um, you know, he was with us and but she doesn't really say that she's actually talked with him since he left Mars. And as she's telling him things about like things that she does know, uh, Forger tells her like, yo, Gar hasn't been on missions. He hasn't really left the house. Um, he and Perdita actually broke up. Like, you should really go see him. And we're left with that. We get the title sequence, of course, because this is a fire title sequence. Um, mm -hmm. We hop back over now to Poseidonist and the Science Center where everyone is running tests on Arian. It's uh, Mira, Oren, Volko, and Blubber. I didn't realize Blubber was chief scientist over here. My bad. Uh, <laughs> um, they're running tests on him because they just want to see if he actually is who he says he is. Because as we learned from the Zatanna arc, Arian was the first king of Atlantis, which, was, um, which they revealed he was actually Arian in the previous episode. Again, it was so quick you missed it. Um, so now they're testing his magic and the more they test it, the more they're like, the results are inconclusive because we don't have the technology to test certain things like this. However, Mira is able to tell that his magic is such of a different strain from hers that the only thing that she can assume is that it's probably some kind of older version. And this is where we're wondering, um, where Oren is asking, like, maybe we could do some kind of DNA test and, Rightfully, Arian's just like, we didn't really collect DNA samples like 12,000 years ago. Like, we didn't even know that was a thing. They do mention, though, that he does match for Batman's sample of Savage's DNA. How? Yeah. <laughs> and Cassandra Savage's, too. <laughs> um, how did they get that, my boy? Mm -hmm. um, got some saying Batman be doing you. some illegal collection. I'm just saying. <laughs> we should also mention a month has passed. <laughs> it's between episodes. Um... Because um, I think, honestly, it was because they wanted to line up the events of of where the timeline was left at the end of the Satana stuff. Mm -hmm. But I guess, yeah, a month passed after the child and chaos. Yeah, it, it was a couple of weeks, which also does make me question. Because um, it does feel like time might work differently wherever Superboy is because I think wait actually was this was this the last episode when he actually saw the bus uh no no he hasn't done that yet okay so yeah yeah it does get a little confusing so time might work a little differently where Superboy is because at some point we do know that he comes across that bus and if it was supposed to all happen during the Zatanna arc then maybe the bus was time jumping a little bit we don't know but um 
speaking of Superboy, actually, uh, we do find out that he's still in this ghost dimension and he's now starting to hallucinate his um McGann, who's helping him to push through to get to the other side of things, acting as a cheerleader for him, giving him advice about jumping and leaping tall rocks in a single bound. But of course, though, we have to head back over to Arian and Poseidon this because now they decide that maybe it's time for them to see if they can finally find something that has been lost for 12,000 years. Yes. So they figure the best way to test if Arian is who he is, is to get his crown. And it has been lost for a long time. Orin knowing that set, going after the crown would imply that he's fully given into the prophecy when he just wants to disprove it. He says, this has to be an undercover mission. So Calder, assemble your team, do whatever you got to do. Just find out, get the crown in time. And we also get some background on Arion, um, because everyone's like, bro, why don't you just step forward? Why don't you just take the crown? And he explains, look, it's my fault Atlantis sank. Not really, but he blames mm. himself. Um, we were all there. We know what happened. <laughs> it was your daddy. Yeah. So granddad? Granddad? Yeah. Granddaddy. Yeah, we we know it's rough. Mm -hmm. Um, so he carries this guilt and he just kind of wants to get away from it. He doesn't want to take the responsibility of the crown at all. Um, but while he contemplates what he's gonna do next, McGann finally confronts Beast Boy, calls him out about dissing Perdita from leaving for leaving the show and for being too dependent on sleeping pills. And Beast Boy hits back saying like, I know these are all symptoms of depression. I know. And I've had experiences. People have died around me. I know how to get through. But she insists that it is different this time and something needs to change for him. And on that note, back to undersea adventures. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so we head on over to the home of uh, Roden, Coral, and Lagan, um, our throuple here, as Lagan is very reluctant, but knows he has to join in on this mission that Aquaman Calder has assigned to him. At the same time, Coral and Roden are very, they, they're just a little worried because they're worried that, they, that he might miss the birth of their child here, and he promises that he'll be back in time. Um, we then hop on over to Calder and Wind's home where Delphys is uh, hearing the two of them argue because Wind is quite upset that Calder has continued, continuously gone on missions and has even accepted this very big one. Meanwhile, he hasn't taken a break at all. And I got to say, it's kind of, it was even like a really real look about specifically, as a black man, I understand this notion of just like, you know, you can't take that break because it feels like you're not allowed to. Mm -hmm. And Calder is going through every single thing that I personally have even said to myself. It was just like, if I've been hurt or if I didn't have really the time to do it, I was like, I'll make the time. I have to do it. It's my duty. I have to complete this task if I must. So this is kind of, this was really eye-opening for me personally because I was just like, I've with time I've worked through this stuff, but seeing and hearing this stuff and it added me a sense. I was like, holy crap, I was, I was a lot like that. I couldn't swim underwater, but I was a lot like that. <laughs> Um, and Calder says, I'll take my rest after we find Ocean Master, um, who has been missing for weeks now, apparently. And Delphys wants to join in on this mission, but Calder refuses to let her join because she's not trained to do so. Meanwhile, as they head on to the mission, um, we hop back over to Connor, who is still 
prepping himself for a lot of these long jumps that he has to take. Now he has a new form of encouragement as the ghost version of Wally West is coming to tell him that, yo, you can do it. You just got to make it to the next step. And um, this is where it gets a little dark because he starts saying things like, we might be dead, but we're not in heaven. We're not in hell. We're in some <laughs> kind of purgatory. So we just, all that matters is just getting to the next rock to figure out what's happening next. And it's the, and that's the only thing that matters. And I do have to commend um, Nolan North performance here um, where there's this refrain where he keeps saying, you know, it's a long way to jump. And every time he says it, he gets more tired. He gets more depressed. Mm. It's he's, the hope just drains from his voice. So I really commend Nolan North on. I mean, he's an incredible voice actor. He doesn't need my praise, but I'm giving it to him anyway. Um, <laughs> he, he's uh, really hits that note and makes it uh, really hit. Elsewhere, we find that Orin has gotten a hold of Ocean Master, shoved him in prison again. And we... Don't really. I don't think we've ever gotten an explanation of their relationship. We can just always assume. I'm just putting inserting every Orm and Aquaman relationship in here. That yeah, pretty much. Orm <laughs> wants the crown. Uh, Orm doesn't give it to him, and they fight. And he goes on this rant where he's like, "You know, I was here in prison for my six year bid <laughs> that messed me up. I don't know what happens in these Atlantean prisons that messed him <laughs> up so bad. They look nice, but." He says, all the time you visited me, I was mad. And this is where Oren goes, um, what did you say? He's like, yeah, those times you visited me. He's like, okay. Uh, well, this visit is over. And he swims away, consumed by a thought. Uh, back on the surface, a um, we get an impromptu intervention where that starts with Static and Blue Beetle continuing the trend of criminally underusing Static Shock. Mm -hmm. <laughs> in this series uh so they try to approach beast boy by going in really upbeat really enthusiastic reminding him of all the good things that happened but their routine feels so rehearsed that beast boy immediately rejects it and calls on for the next person to try their hand at intervening and that next person is cassie aka wonder girl who um following at the beginning of the events of this um series we see that she kind of takes more of a leadership role of the outsiders as beast boy is taking that step back through due to his depression cassie is just like i need you back on this team because it's not even just like a team thing anymore when i first decided to take on as the leader when you decided to go to mars i figured it was just for a brief period of time however i'm not ready to lead this team I need someone that I need you, Beast Boy, who has been my mentor, my friend, who has helped me through this journey to raise me up and help me because I need that person back. And he fires back, well, I had to lead this team by myself with no help whatsoever. So you just got to do it, too. And I was like, stop, <laughs> because, like, basically your whole entire tenure was orchestrated by everybody else. So as Beast Boy tells her that, like, look, if you want to be a leader, you got to figure it out yourself. I'm not here to hold your hand. Um, we now take our hands and bring them to our face in shock because we now got to hop back over to Zebel, where we meet up with Rias Nearest, the father of Mira, who is being antagonized by a crowd of protesters who are now sharing that they are in opposition to Oren's rule, to Rias's rule, and they believe that the only person who should be ruling all of Atlantis to truly be the High King is um, is Arian. And Nearest is feeling that opposition from his people as well. This does lead into a great cover 
for um, Wind, Calder, and Lagan, who are able to get into a certain area of um, Zebold called the Grave of Legends, where it's like, but basically beneath the seafloor, it's like under the sea. <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> I resisted this long. <laughs> we did. Yeah, I, there were a couple times I almost said it too, but um, I will probably say sing it a little later today. <laughs> and as they're swimming along, trying to get deeper into the ocean, they come across the statue of Arian, who Lagan says looks a lot like wind. <laughs> yeah, so as they are coming across this, this crown journey, we see that um, elsewhere, Oren's going on his own journey, and he goes to the shady back alley where three members of the gang are immediately ready to box the king of the ocean. <laughs> I understand, because his L record is severe lately, mm-hmm. but He's like, I ain't got time for all that. So he summons a gang of sharks saying, um, y'all really want to talk to them or you want to talk to me? So he gets where he wants to. Back on the surface, we have Robot Man from the Doom Patrol taking time to uh, his turn at the intervention. And we really go deep here where Cliff says all the Doom Patrol died. They sacrificed themselves to save the world. But you were there. You saved me. When I was lost, I thought I was dead, but I came back and you saved me. You saved my life. And here was here's a really genuinely affecting moment where Beast Boy says, I recognize that I did that, but I don't want to, I don't want to be the savior. I don't want to help you. I don't want people to have to lean on me. And Cliff still tries to push push Beast Boy to to really see the good he does. And Beast Boy hits him with, you came back from the dead to give that speech? Mm. Jesus Christ, boy. Oh, my God. Beast Man. Maybe you've been studying under Vandal Savage. He's a Um, savage beast. (laughs) Oh, there we go. That's what I was looking for. Um, And McGann hits him with, like, are you having a good time? Are you having fun dismissing everybody? Because it's easier to do that than to actually face your problems. And upon this, Beast Boy looks and says, next? Oh, wait, nobody. So he leaves. And as the final mic drop, McGann reminds him, mental health checks are required. Black Lightning made them mandatory. There we go, Black Lightning. Mm -hmm. Already (laughs) proven he's a good head of the Justice League. (laughs) So he must now either get help or leave all the teams he's joined. Yep. And speaking of someone who is going through their own mental health crisis here, uh, Connor, he's sitting on this rock, very saddened about what his next steps are, because it does seem like he's been jumping around for many, many weeks. And he gets a familiar face who appears and tells him that he's got to make this next jump and is the triumphant, inspiring voice of Superman. Um, Connor asks in return, like, what's the point of all this? Because they really are heading to nowhere. And when Superman just stares at him to offer that that um that moment of advice, he gets attacked by Match. Um, as we know, Match is the cloned version of Superboy, rather, Superboy is the cloned version of Match. <laughs> uh, it's confusing. But when Match attacks Superman, we see that he actually in this moment snaps Superman's neck, completing that mission that he was first programmed to do. So Connor and Shock looks down in a way. 
But when he looks down, he sees that his hands are now the bloodstained hands of Matt. He sees that he himself is Matt. And he passes out here. This leads to us opening back up to a scene where our Aqua team here are still venturing around. Um, Wynn makes a comment at one point about the statue looking like him because they're directed from the direct line of the true thing. So that was probably the purest thing that he had meant that caused some issues in the past. Um, but as they get, they're starting to dig into the ground, there are some guards that are swimming towards them and they don't recognize them. They don't, they don't see them at first because they're so focused on getting rid of the, the, the seabed there so you get to the next level. Fortunately, Delphise does appear um, using her light to distract the guards. And this is when Calder finally invites her to join them because he does realize that they're probably going to need her help, especially because as soon as they enter, Delphise has to use her light abilities <laughs> to be basically a giant nightlight where they finally see the body of the head that they saw up uh, up earlier. Yeah, what was their plan? Did they have flashlights even? like? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, I, I, I figured that maybe they could light up their like Atlantean tattoos, but at the same time, I was just like, y'all did something a little stronger for that thing. <laughs> so back in uh, Orin land, he, he pulls back to up to the jail and says, brother, how many times did I visit you? He says 16. And Oren's like, psych, I never visited your ass in jail. I left you to rot there because I was mad. So uh, since you're misremembering that, then yeah, you probably are a clone or something. So they do confirm that this Ocean Master is indeed a clone. And to make things even worse, Arian is missing as they find out this clone. And again, the timing seems a little too convenient. In the post credit scene, Forager gives the valedictorian speech for Happy Harbor High School. Yeah. I don't think this is fair. <laughs> I don't either. I was thinking the same thing. I do not think this was fair. Like, did his credit... I mean, look, I, it's probably like a year. Like, did his credits transfer over? That's my, that's my main question. I don't know. Like, I, I don't... I never really saw him as, like, a teenager. So I right. feel like he's older. Um... I feel like they should have given it. Maybe it's alienist of me to say they should have given it to a human child, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it just felt weird. I feel um, like it shouldn't have been valedictorian. I feel like it would have worked if it was just like, here's a speech from a student who's just been very passionate about the um, the community that re that's now been established with the introduction of um, aliens within our school system. I'm like, I feel like that could have worked. Valedictorian yeah. was like a very big jump. That's a that's a lot. Um, but in any case, the he gives a nice speech before we go into Leviathan Wakes, where McGann and a nice call back to a previous episode, she's able to shape shift to withstand the pressure. Um, she's down in Atlantis and confirms that this Ocean Master clone does indeed think he's authentic. And <laughs> Oren really callously goes, "Poor bastard." I'm like, "Bro, <laughs> chill, chill." All right. Um, so McGann offers to help piece together his memories whenever he's ready, but he does, reje um, Orm rejects it wholeheartedly. And this is a bad time because right now, Orin and the leader of Zebel, his father-in-law, ain't getting along too well. Nope, not at all, especially because right now, and this is a one month time jump again. <laughs> so we are now in July 3rd, where the crowd is chanting Arian's name. Um, and now 
the two, the Orin and his father-in-law are definitely not civil, but it doesn't help that uh, the other members of the um, city-states, the other leaders of the city-states are also stating that they too uh, want Arian to be the, the leader because they are very worried that all the civil unrest amongst the amongst all of Atlantis might lead into a bigger war. And they don't even, because of everything that's happening. I, I love the fact that they were like, listen, y'all, we're willing to put aside our personal differences about the inequities of between our lands because we all might lose <laughs> this, the power here. It's a little, it's a little on the nose for certain things. I'm <laughs> go right ahead with mm-hmm. it. Um, so now all of these city-state rulers are now saying that because of the prophecy, it's looking like it's real. Um, even though they don't have the crown as of yet, they feel like it might be in their best power to either fight it out or just let Arian be the one to um, become king, the high king of Atlantis. Yeah, and it's uh, I do respect um, Orin because he's like I'm not a dictator, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so if this is what you want, it's it's what you have. So back with the uh, Calder Brigade, we it's been revealed again that they've been dodging lava thermal vents for weeks, literal weeks. They've been down searching for this crown, and you can tell because <laughs> um, Calder has a beard. So so does Wind. And at this point, the Wind is talking with Lagoon Man. And he they actually, in a moment of maturity for him, says, you know, I think about all of this, what happened with Superboy. I never got to make amends with him for all this petty relationship stuff I was trying to get with McGann. And Wind also opens up and says, how there's been stretched so thin too, like, it's only a matter of time before this really overtakes him and really like breaks him down. So right now they're trying to, they're getting closer after all of this, they better hope so. And all of a sudden big Sebastian attacks crawls out from underneath the ocean. Um, And this is where I now forgive Lagoon man for all the, the pain he put me through in the past. Because he does come in clutch in this big fight. So does Delphise. Again, using those solar flare abilities to her max um, to help them survive. And now eventually, using their magical powers, they just find the thing. Uh, I guess time's running out. They just got to find the thing now. (laughs) They don't really have to earn it. They just find it. And um, back in the prison, Orem says, you know what? I changed my mind. McGann, check out what's going on. And we get one of the craziest flashback sequences this show has ever provided. <laughs> Funny thing about this is that it gets quickly mentioned in episode two of this arc, I believe it was, in the post credit scene. So here's the thing for the superhero watchers out there. Uh, it looks like we're going to have to keep on watching for post credit scenes, y'all, because... In that scene, when Vandal is talking with Cassandra, she he mentions something about Project Threnos. And it's very much a throwaway line. But we find out that the very first memory of this clone of Orm is him waking up in a pod with Vandal Savage and Ultra Humanite watching over him. Vandal is having this conversation saying that, like, all right, it looks like the clone is waking up. He's starting to get 
his bearings. It looks like the even ultra humanized use of the fast growth is working. So very much a callback to our very first season when we saw that um, creation of Superboy. It seems like the light is still playing around with clones. So during this time, um, he says, okay, let's make sure, though, that we get Simon to come in and wipe away the memory that is being created here. This leads into, once again, thing goes to sleep. People everywhere on the outside are now chanting for Arian to become the king. So now all the city-state rulers now do the same. Meanwhile, back in this flashback again, Orm wakes up, hearing Savage confirm with Simon that both subjects are ready to receive Ocean Master's memories um, based off the Cyback recording. So that was also, again, what these Cybacks are, just basically just all the memories of an individual put into something else. And as he op- this clone of Orm opens his eyes, he sees across from him Project Threnos, which Savage is very happy with. And Project Threnos is basically a- creating a clone of his grandson, Arian, using the flute that he used to play 12,000 years ago to grow the body, give it all of his magical abilities, and doing a whole bunch of other stuff which we will get to because there's so much more happening. Look, this is be- this is why Vandal Savage funded 23andMe to get everybody's DNA just in case he needed to do this. Yep. So back in back on, in the council room, uh, the leader of Zebel King votes for himself. <laughs> in terms the goat. Of, I swear it's the goat right there. <laughs> I give it to him. I would do the same thing. I picture him as Dolph Lundgren, uh, like the movies. Um so, but everybody else votes. Let's put Arian on the throne. It w- it's what the people want. It'll maintain order. He wins in a complete landslide. And then we get the final piece of the memories that is the most important of the clone memories. It's revealed that Vandal Savage left the clone with only memories of that six-year bid <laughs> in jail <laughs> and little else of his hatred. Um, of Orin and talks to the Aryan who has Ocean Master's mind and says, yo, bro, you understand why we had to kill you before? And he's like, yep, hey, man, I, I get it. Um, <laughs> what you want me to do? He's like, Vandal says, I want you to memorize everything you know about Aryan, pretend to be him while you're really Orm and borrow this body to go and just take over Atlantis just so I have control of the seas like I always wanted to. By the way, we're going to program your clone to always lose to you in a fight. And you're going to have to learn how to fight without a trident. You're going to have to learn a whole new fighting style, a whole new jutsus. <laughs> and act this whole plan. So that was the plan. Uh, create a clone of Ocean Master. By the same time, put Ocean Master's mind in another person's body. So you got two Ocean Masters running around. And profit. <laughs> it's such a wild plan, but I'm not mad at it though. <laughs> it's, it's like it could it, it could have worked. It really could have worked. It is working. It is working right now. Um, unfortunately, after seeing all of this, the clone Orm is quite upset. McGann is also sorry for the unforgivable things that the light did to him. So she immediately starts to try to report this to um to King Orin. However, at that point, once again, 
Um, Arian is now the new Anox or the High King of Atlantis. Meanwhile, Calder and the rest of the group are just continuously fighting for their lives <laughs> because even though they found the crown, they are now facing off against the Leviathan, hence the name of Leviathan Wakes for this episode. <laughs> and they're trying to figure out how can we get out because they've been trapped for, again, about a month. So Calder is able to take one of his um, hydrokinesis swords, stabs the beast, uses it as a rudder like a ship, and continuously pulses electric shocks into Leviathan's back so that everyone else could climb on and he can use the Leviathan to torpedo itself up to the ceiling, breaking a hole into the seabed so they can fly or rather swim out and head on over to Jebel so they can stop everything from happening or at least bring forward the crown to see if they can continue this part of the prophecy because they don't know about this whole secret reveal. No one does except for King Orin. We decides to just sit there because unfortunately he can't do anything because he knows that if he comes up and says that it's his brother in disguise, everyone will think that he's just there trying to take back and keep on his rule. But he is still pleading with his brother because he does off screen, I guess, doesn't tell him. He knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, off screen. I was yeah. like, what? <laughs> I, why didn't we just do that? I would love to have seen that on screen. Just come to him, <laughs> say something random, like a cold phrase from back in the day that he knows that his brother would know. Um, so he's telling his brother, brother, please don't do this. But the entire time, Arian slash Orm is like, listen, I've earned this. I got, I'm taking what's rightfully mine. And in that moment, somehow, oh, no, no, they were still in Jebel. They were still in, I was going to say there was there a very are. quick swim, but they were in the area. <laughs> um, Calder's group is swimming toward with the, the crown. And this is where an Arian Orm says, ah, okay, finally, my crown has arrived. And he uses magic to bring it towards him. Oren goes like, hey, Orm, don't put on the one ring, please. And Oren's <laughs> like, don't even worry about it, bro. I got it. And as soon as he puts on the crown, he just gets disintegrated and dies. Because <laughs> the lords of order were like, no, no, no. You yeah. are not talking. <laughs> so he dies. And everyone's like, oh, well, that wasn't supposed to happen, probably. <laughs> Um, so they're like, okay, I guess um, Oren can be king again. And Oren says, no, no, no. I think uh, this whole prophecy, everything is actually pointing to Mira. And they think, I am fully ready to step aside. And I don't, I've never really wanted to be the king anyway. I was raised in a lighthouse. Mira was raised in a kingdom. Where <laughs> You and me are not the same. So he kind of, he just yields to Mira and says, okay, you're going to just let let you be rule. And Mira steps forward and gives this inspiring speech to unite everyone. At this point, I was like, this feels exactly like what happened in the Martian plotline, except with less racism. Um, <laughs> so Oren's like, all right, now that that's done, I'm going to be a house husband. Um, I'm also going to take up the name Aquaman. And Calder's like, oh, man, um, I guess I'll have to like find a new name. I and he's like, no, no, no. Look, the league's got four Green Lanterns, multiple flashes, which is not that true anymore. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. we, no, we no, still got. I, still, I think I think may, maybe Jake joined the Justice League. I, I was like, yeah, maybe. I was like, that's a stretch to me. But he's like, we can have all, multiple Aquaman, including Lagoon Man, because Lagoon Man is just named the next Aquaman. For Word. some reason, <laughs> like, no, I <laughs> he did good this episode, but my man is a father, 
He's a new father. Let him be. <laughs> oh, um, gosh. And in this messy aftermath, Vandal is really salty about his crazy plan that could have easily backfired at any time by just a, a simple mental search from McGann on on Arian, which I don't know why no one tried in the first place. Um, mm. uh, so he's salty about that. New Orm is free to go because he can't be held responsible for his OG crimes or brainwashed crimes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now it's time to check in on Calder. <laughs> yeah, so at the announcement that we were going to have uh, three Aqua pe- Aquamen, uh, Calder says, you know, this is a good time because even though we have three, I think it would be good if we actually have two for a bit. Because he decides to finally take the break that he has been working for towards this entire time. He kisses wind and we get like a bunch of uh, montages, uh, non-animated montages, where we see that uh, Mira is sitting on the the Atlantean throne with um, Aquaboy or Artur on her lap and Orin by her side. Um, Aquaman 3 or Lagan is um, holding his newborn child with his wife and husband. Uh, Calder is relaxing on the couch with winds with um, Delphi sitting nearby. Meanwhile, um, we see Superboy is still stuck in this dimension. He's still on this rock sitting next to Ghosty, still distraught over um, killing Superman. He's calling himself a beast. And as he's just sitting there, um, remembering these moments of rage and violence that he's had back since like, it's more so in season one, um, he sees a school bus flying by. Uh, again, we don't know how the school bus that Clarion was operating was jumping through time and space quite like this, but I guess we don't know how time works in this place. But as he tries to scream for the bus to come and pick him up, um, unfortunately, very much like very, a bus in Brooklyn, it did not stop for him. <laughs> and as he sits, sits back down, um, this is where we see that he's afraid of himself losing his mind. And the person who give him some comfort now is the other half of his biological makeup, Lex Luthor, who says the phrase Red Sun. We close our episodes here with an end credit scene of Calder talking to Black Canary. He's talking about how um, everything in his life has started since freeing Superboy from Cadmus 10 years ago, uh, actually almost to that day. And he talks about how much pride he's had in forming a team, but recognizing the cost of it because he's lost his friends, he's lost someone he was in love with. His whole life has changed and is continuously changing. And he breaks down and cries um, because he remembers how much of his life has changed. And he's just coming to terms with all that. Um, So as we come to terms with the ends of this episode here, this arc here, we'll leave you with this podcast and the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. Hello there. I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. So we got the Aquaman arc here. It was an arc. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly was.
if you had to choose from our four sets of episodes, we got Nautical Twilight, we got Ebb Tide, Emergency Dive, and Leviathan Wakes. Which of these episodes are you giving the most whelmed award episode to? I'm going to give it to Nautical Twilight because it started this arc off very strong. Calder was exploring a very different type of grief. One where you just move on. It does You don't let anything stop. You just keep going. That's something, you know, I can definitely identify with the urge to just go through the grief and not uh, let anything get in the way to try to to overcome it. There are a lot of exciting concepts introduced here of this underwater society, this Atlantis we had just gotten to know uh, and gotten to, uh, of its origin, and uh, really great scenes with Violet and following up on a long lingering plotline for, for Violet and discovering their identity. And yeah, we got some, it really had a lot of promise to what this arc could have been. Unfortunately, from this point in, it is just wild and chaotic. <laughs> so many plot points are thrown out. So many different story beats. The Beast Boy stuff is trying to pay off. The McGann stuff is trying to pay off. They're trying to set up this Connor mystery. And it just feels like they're throwing way too much at the wall. And we already knew the fire volcano was going to be fine because we had just seen it. Mm-hmm. The time skips. The wild plans from Savage. It just felt like every episode had the potential to do something great. But ultimately, I don't think this arc serves Calder very well. I think he's very inactive and ineffective in this arc to the point where his Lagoon Man becomes, he gets his same title and doesn't do anything. Like, it would have been nice if my RJ alteration here make it so at the end of this arc Make the arc more about Lagoon Man and Calder, who have legitimate beef with each other. Mm-hmm. Make it about them being forced to help come together to save Atlantis, just like Orm and Orinar do a reflection of it. And at the end of this arc, they overcome their differences, and Calder chooses to name Lagoon Man the next Aquaman in his place. That would have been natural than King than Orin randomly doing it for no reason whatsoever. Um, and I think. While I do like, you know, ex- exploring and representing different kinds of couples, uh, relationships with the thruple, I think um, stepping away from that with the baby aspect of it, at least, and focusing more on Calder and Lagoon Man um, would have been more helpful and paid off this arc. Because if you told if these four episodes didn't need to necessarily follow each other, because so many random things happen, so many time skips. So the most normal episode, Nautical Twilight, is where I'm the most whelmed. Uh, what about you? I want to definitely say that I felt like this whole story was an Atlantis story. Like that moment was just like, it didn't really have that much Calder. I agree with that so much. And that's why I don't even think you can see it as a Calder arc. I see it more as an Atlantis arc. So um, while my favorite episode definitely was Nautical Twilight, I'm going to have to go with Leviathan Wake just because it does. It just wraps it up. I just yeah. <laughs> need it wrapped up. Yeah. That is fair. Because it, it, it's like so much happened. I love the dynamic of learning of the city-states, how they are in Atlantis. Because honestly, this entire time, I thought Atlantis was just like, you just get one big place. But no, mm-hmm. they got it like in like a full-on state. Like, I love that. That was like a great introduction to like what, how this whole place looks, how it's governed how um, Calder is navigating this world. And because we never got that much of it, really. It's always been like Calder has been on the surface world as a member of the team or 
under Black Manta's, like, working alongside Black Manta as a mole. Like, all those stories, we never got a chance to see Calder at home. So, um, as an Atlantis arc, Leviathan, the fact that it just wraps it up, like, there is, I feel like a lot more reveals and shocking things. Like, was not expecting to see Aryan Orm get turned into dust. <laughs> Honestly, the only reason why that also works is because you needed to have the Zatanna arc before. Yep. So a lot of this arc, you need to have prior knowledge, which is something that's a bit upsetting to me because Nautical Twilight felt like that was the episode where it's just like, I could go into this fresh. But given that this is the story that they were trying to tell, Leviathan wakes because this is where we finally hear about what in the world is Project Drenos. Um, was not expecting that at all. Uh, don't even know what that how that came to even be. Um, but I think the most important thing about it that came out of that full episode was Aquaman realizing that he was useless this entire <laughs> time and actually giving the crown over to Mira because that felt natural to me. Like every single time I think of like Aquaman, even though he is truly known as the king of Atlantis and king of the under of the undersea and all that, I feel like Mira also always should have been the one to actually have that title. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why. Leviathan Wakes made it for me. But again, I really wish that we had more time to like focus on Calder. I love that idea of Calder and Lagan um having to team up in this weird way. Um, because the other thing too is that like they keep trying to uh connect these since Superboy's death, they keep trying to connect how the team is upset about Superboy's death. However, I'm not seeing it from anybody. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and it's that because you put him with a bunch of characters that don't from my memory don't even come back in any mm-hmm. significant way by the end and this is also notably an arc where as even though definitely there are some criticisms to be had about all the arcs before this what you can say the uniting factor is there is young justice there is a sense of mentorship uh even if it's not done the best artemis and orphan Zatanna and her protégés. Mm-hmm. Um, McGann and her sister also mentoring Gar at the same time to eventually think more strategically and be a detective and stuff like that while they're on Mars. There's an aspect of mentorship that carries over and carries the spirit of young justice that we fell in love with, of young heroes learning how to do this. Mm-hmm. You don't get that here. You don't. They're, they're all adults. Delphi's, let's be honest, she's not going to help. <laughs> She's not going to be much use in the future arcs because she can't breathe air. So um, it's 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 just yeah. the facts. So there's no you don't feel like the show is moving really in the Young Justice area until you cut away from the Aquaman stuff, which, again, cheapens the plot line for for Aquaman and Calder, which is a shame because he has some really good moments. His speech about I was so scared to take a breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first got onto land and I've been holding that breath until now because of my grief and pain, that's great stuff. I wish the show would have cared about him. <laughs> yeah. I really do. Yeah, it does feel like they turned Aquaman here into like the guaranteed leader, but not really showing like how much he had to deal with the fact of being that leader. Like it, it happens in that one conversation that he has with Nick when it's just like, hey, are you sure you, you should take a break? Like, that is the only time that you're actually taking into account um, Calder as a as a person versus, like, he's the leader. He's the strong one. He's, um, you know, it's tough to see that, like, this man who has been his entire life been a leader undercover doing all these 
things to to try to fight the good fight. And no, it doesn't feel like as if anyone's really taking care of him. Even like at the times where people are like, they want to take care of him. It seems like they're just condemning him for not taking care of himself versus anyone who's just like, I'm going to actively step in your way and tell you, hey, take a break, bro. Like, stop you from doing this. It just seems like they're just like, all right, he's not going to stop. I'll just go along with him. And that doesn't always work. Um, mm -hmm. So while I know we're probably not going to get a season five here of Young Justice, I do hope that um, this person, this Calder character in general, maybe in some other continuity, he does get that moment where it's just like someone's going to step in his way and actively do something to take care of him. Yeah. Give him some shine, people. He deserves mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I will say also one good thing about this arc, too, was that I did like the um, the varying scenes of what mental health could look like across different individuals. With like Calder is the pushing through. It's um, with Beast Boy having that intervention and seeing the different stages of depression and ang mostly so anger coming from him. Um, and also with Superboy kind of seeing like his mind kind of breaking down because of the situation he's in. Um, while it's not like the greatest way to show a lot of these mental health things, I felt like it was real because it does kind of connect with what I've personally seen in the past or what you even see here, read about or hear about in other stages. So I think that like it's they did a good job of at least showing different versions of mental health in this episode, um, in this arc. And um thankfully though that they are also highlighting like mental health checks that are like mandatory from the team and even having open conversations with like um violet and her somewhat mother about like religion and identity so there are still these deep conversations yeah. popping up in this arc um i think but i agree i think it was just too much being thrown in all at once yeah and i i do agree there there are really the the show's depiction of mental health is is really great um in a general sense mm -hmm. and um and it'll definitely be easier to talk about once we have all the pieces but um when the show is when the characters are allowed to move forward uh, and there is some merit to them being stuck for a while i absolutely do agree we need an episode at least one episode where beast boy is refusing help and mm -hmm. everything but um I think, again, this is a thing where if things are lined up a little bit better, um, we can get these reinforcements, um, reinforced messages really tight together. Um, you know, if Superboy starts coping by these hallucinations at the same time that we see Beast Boy's own unhealthy coping strategies, then you have a double reinforced message across mm -hmm. the board. Um, they're almost there. It's almost there, but they're at different stages at this point. And at one point, it's going to go really, they're going to go really different directions. So I think uh, this is somewhere we're arranging things a little bit better. We could get a really hit, but overall, the pieces that are coming together in each of their stories are really strong. Um, and that, that, that a testament and credit to the writers on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. And um, speaking of writers with strong stories, we're going to hop on over to the comic section of this. Um, because I think we've briefly covered uh, Cal's kind of origin in the past. 
Um, it is a little convoluted, so bear with me. <laughs> um, but I guess really the first thing that I can do is actually talk about um, his namesake more so, and that is Cal Zoram, um, by which we mean his father, Calvin Zoram, who we got, who we've met in the past in previous episodes of Young Justice, but here we got a chance to see him, um, you know, acting within the round table of King Arthur here and whatnot. Um, so he was first introduced as a lieutenant of Black Manta, and this was when um, he decided to join under Black Manta's cause because he was under the impression, due to Black Manta telling him so, that he wanted to re he wanted to gain control of the oceans because he felt like it would be a great place for the African American race for them to be in control of three quarters of the world. I mean, okay. Okay, let's let's go on along with this for a while. Yeah, and um, he did. <laughs> he went <laughs> along with this for a while. Um, so he was able to rise up to ranks to become the lieutenant. But the more he fought alongside Black Manta, the more he realized, like, hold up, this guy isn't talking about Black liberation at all. He is literally just creating an army to fight Aquaman. And Cal had no beef with Aquaman, so he was like, listen. I'm going to just defect, tell Aquaman what's going on. And when he tried to do so, uh, Black Manta attacked him. Uh, the other thing was that Black Manta experimented on his people, so he, um, on his henchmen here. So he gave Cal, in some way, uh, gills. So at first they weren't working, but upon the attack, these gills finally worked when he got thrown into the water. So That's classic, classic how to learn how to swim. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, it really is actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was also the answer to your question: is like, how did he get gills if he was from San Diego? <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of San Diego, after he helped Aquaman defeat Black Manta in this, um, because he now had to live under the water, things happen. Infinite Crisis, San Diego got sunken. And got renamed Sub Diego, and he was then currently the mayor of Sub Diego. Sub Diego, okay, mm-hmm. okay, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so that now brings us to now that we have like the namesake of why we decided to go with Cal Durham, uh, that brings us now to Cal Durham, or who's who's the name of the character in our Young Justice series. But in comics, actually goes by the name Jackson Hyde. And this is the second Aqualad in history. So this version of Aqualad first appeared in Brightest Day Comics by Jeff Johns in issue number four back in 2010. And then a couple months later uh, was when uh, we got our animated series, the premiere of Young Justice. So this is where we got introduced to Cal Durham as Aqualad. And while the name of our favorite Aqualad is in honor of the original character, the story is a little bit more, his origin is a little bit different because um, he does have two origin stories. But the very original one is that um, Black Manta met a Jebel woman. The two of them had a child. Unfortunately, that child was abandoned and was then saved by Mira before she was queen, brought to the surface world where he was adopted and then found his way back to Atlantis. Complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it is wild i think the reason why they decided to create the origin story like this is because it's actually a little similar to garth's the very first aqualad's origin story mm-hmm. um where he too was saved by mira 
um, due to um, time portals and evil uncles and all that, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> so the proper origin story comes up now in uh, DC Rebirth in T Titans Rebirth number six, seven, nine, ten, and eleven in 2016. <laughs> he has got an epic story to tell, guys. Oh yes, it is quite epic. Honestly, <laughs> I wish it kind of turned this into a movie. Um. So, oh, and also just fun fact, um, issues number eight and the special that happened between eight and nine, they are just connected to a larger story arc that they were trying to do called Lazarus Contract. Um, it's a crazy read, but it has a really cool cover art. So I would say definitely say if you find them, I have them all, find them, collect them. They're cool to see. Uh, <laughs> fun fact, Deathstroke gets speed force powers. Uh, anyway. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> He's already a menace. <laughs> With these damn micro expressions. <laughs> Uh, so this arc that takes place starting with um, Teen Titans Rebirth number six is called Rise of Aqualad, Blood of Manta. And we get introduced to Jackson Hyde, who is Calder in this universe. He's living in New Mexico and it introduces him as like an outsider who's always felt like he's an outsider who had this mom, Lucia, who is um, basically the true definition of a helicopter parent. Hmm. Um. We already know by seeing him that he already has his powers because he's already using them. He has the power of water kinesis, but he's just very unsure about his origin because he never got it from his mom. And his mom is quite upset whenever he does use his powers because she's like, you're already so different. And she states, you're constantly dying. Your hair blonde. Um, you know, you have your these Atlantean marks. So he does know he's from Atlantis. You have these Atlantean marks. Fortunately, though, um, we'll, people, we've just been telling people that they're tattoos. And you're attracted to guys. So she's telling him that she doesn't like the fact a little bit that he's so different. So don't use your water powers because that will make you even extra different. <laughs> um, he's quite upset over this, obviously. Uh, so he decides to go hang out with his um, his secret boyfriend. So as they're hanging out, Jackson is showing video footage of like the Teen Titans operating in their own missions and whatnot that have been captured on the news. And even though... Um, his boyfriend's name is Kenny. Kenny is just like, you know, we can't really show our true selves. Um, at least, you know, the Teen Titans have like, the Teen Titans have it lucky because they are able to use their powers to do wherever they want. They have money, they have fame, they have all of this. And this is when Jackson decides, I'm going to show, he's going to show his boyfriend his abilities, his water kinesis. Mm -hmm. This freaks out Kenny so much that he's just like, I never want to speak to you again. I um, I, full disclosure, I thought he was going to die. Just yeah. like right then and there, just die. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this upsets Jackson so much that he decides to run away from home and he figures that the only place that would truly accept him will be the Teen Titans. And it also helps out that the Teen Titans tower is located near a body of water, which he felt is always called out to him, but he never understood why. So he enters Titan's tower. In that moment, the Titans are facing off against um, King Shark. Oh, <laughs> perfect timing words it's a great audition see so he ends up joining the fight um but unfortunately damien uh this is again in dc rebirth this is when uh damien has decided to basically kidnap members of the former teen titans team such as starfire beast boy and raven um oh also uh kid flash this is a younger black version of Kid Flash because of the fact that um, the CW Flash was very popular. CW Kid Flash was very popular. Mm -hmm. um, so as he has this team, Jackson's able to help in the fight. And Robin's just like, I still don't want you on my team because you were not chosen to be a part of my team. King Shark does escape, 
but um, he ends up leading some kind of hostage situation. So when Jackson goes into fight once again, is able to defeat King Shark. This is when Robin decides, all right, because you helped out so much, we'll let you join on the team as a probationary member. Uh, he gave Jackson his a suit that he was designing for underwater combat. I don't know what Damien was going <laughs> to do underwater. He's ready for, like his dad, he's ready for anything. <laughs> Except for the water pressure. <laughs> <laughs> um, So he gives him this suit. And as all this is happening, he's just happy to find some kind of place on the team with people who are like him. And this all gets reported on the news once again. Um, his mother, Jackson's mother, watches this and is very shocked to see her son. Um, but she's more so focusing on this necklace that he's wearing. And at the same time, King Shark is reporting to his boss about the failed attempt of what he had. And this is when he is revealed that his boss is Black Manta, who is also interested in the necklace that Jackson is wearing. Uh, fast forward a couple of issues. Jackson decides to meet up with his mom for lunch. Um, this is where she reveals that this entire time when he's been searching for answers to his abilities, wondering if they came from his father, she reveals that it's actually from her as she produces like this like water statue right in front of him. And he's quite mm. upset because she's been hiding his true identity from him, thinking this entire time that all of his answers could have been from his father when his answers were right there in front of him. So he walks away upset. And as he leaves, both of them are attacked by Black Manta. He tries to stop Black Manta from attacking his mother. And Black Manta states, you know, it's very disrespectful for you to be speaking and attacking your father like this. That's uh, that's like a real Papa brought your pipe moment there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Black Manta um, agrees to stop tacking Lucia, the, um, Jackson's mother, if Jackson decides to go along with him. Uh, so while in captivity, Black Manta reveals the true story about um, about his origin here. So Black Manta shares that back in the day when um, the the necklace that, he's, that he has on his neck is actually a map to a treasure, uh, this treasure called the Black Pearl. Uh, no, not from Pirates of the Caribbean, but it does have a lot of Pirates of the Caribbean themes to it. Um, this Black Pearl was worn by a pirate, a famous pirate, that unfortunately perished at the Gates of Zebel, which is also known as the Bermuda Triangle. And okay. yeah. <laughs> so he decided many years later like centuries or so to try and see if he could find it himself. But he knew that he needed a guide, especially a Zebel citizen to help guide him through there. And that person was fortunately Lucia. Um, and he pretended to be someone that was just lost venturing around in the sea and decided to trick this woman into being his guide and fall. And they, but they did end up falling for each other. And he shared that his, um, he shared his real name, which is David Hyde. Um, unsure if they got married, but she ends up taking the name Lucia Hyde. Um, so once he wooed her and she was, she decided to test to see if he truly wanted to be with her by switching. Cause she knew where this seashell neck, the seashell was that led to the map of the black pearl. Um, so she switched that with a fake one. And when he tried to open this, um, fake seashell, he realized that it was all, a trick done by her, he attacked her and swam away. But unbeknownst to him, they had already conceived their child, who was Jackson. That is a crazy way to explain how your parents met. 
Yeah. <laughs> this is not the how I met your mother that I needed to know. <laughs> um, so it was revealed then that the seashell necklace that Jackson has been wearing this entire life is actually the real map that led to the Black Pearl. So when he opened it up, there was this holographic image that came out and they decided to head on over. Jackson decides to stay with his father here because he's hoping that maybe he can build some kind of bond with his father, even to the point where in this initial meeting, he even shares with his father that he's gay and his father doesn't even shame him for it. So he's feeling very welcomed and comforted in this space. However, um, once they get closer to the location of the Black Pearl, they get attacked by this monster. And Black Manta, familiar with Atlantean magic, tells his son that you have more power than you think and finds a way to, I guess, like force his son's magic out to create this like giant structure that his son's that Jackson's never created before. So he's feeling even better about the decision that he made of being close with his father. Unfortunately, though, um, this all turns to failure as um, the the thing leading to that leading them to the Black Pearl closes off, and uh, Black Manta starts attacking uh, Jackson, throwing him against the cage that's holding the Black Pearl because he realized that he tells him, "I didn't need you here. I just needed someone of Zebelian blood to get my prize." Mm. So he steals the Black Pearl. This gives Manta like this crazy magical powers of being able to control sea life and create constructs of giant sea creatures. And as he brings this to the surface, he's met by the Teen Titans because Lucia, um, after seeing what happened to her son, decides to rush over to the Titans Tower to tell them about what was going on. And this leads into this huge battle. Uh, Jackson is seeing his friends and his mother fall around him. And this is when he activates his full powers, finally defeating his father and destroying the Black Pearl. That this sounds like it could be a whole arc and a half. Oh, right? Justice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mance is taken in. Jackson's a full new member of the team now. And it all ends with Jackson hanging out by the water. He, uh, he gets greeted by Tempest, who is Garth, who is the original Aqualad. The two of them get a chance to talk, and Tempest states, no, no one's actually using the Aqualad moniker right now. If you want to, I'll be honored if you will take it. Jackson agrees. He's the new Aqualad. He heads on home to Titan's Tower, where he's greeted by his mother and the Titans as they throw him a party with a cake that's shaped like a giant tea. Okay. Uh, I guess that's a fair reward for saving all your lives. <laughs> <laughs> Word. It's like, I feel like I need a whole meal, not just a cake. <laughs> some algae maybe like come on, Your me word, actually <laughs> um and with that that wraps up his story so currently right now he's still active in the dc universe um he very much in the originally in this original run he very much looked like calder in the um in the animated series however he has now been wearing more of his locks um sometimes he does, still dyes his hair blonde most of the time though it does seem like he does have these darker locks on his head um, but he still is now even being trained by like Aquaman, um, still kicking ass and taking names and that kind of thing. It's kind of great to see that that he's out there and active still. And in fact, he is still one of the most like prominent gay heroes in the DC universe. Uh, I believe every June, he's actually one of the first people that is actually on the uh, the Pride Month that they had designated for DC in general. So it's kind of cool to see that he's still out there and active. Good for him. Mm-hmm. I, I really do like Calder, I think, or I should say Jackson. <laughs> uh, he's a really cool character. And um, yeah, I hope 
they keep using more of him, especially in this new DCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, the story is right there. If they want to make the movie, I would actually buy a ticket to this to see, you know, maybe get uh get the, you can, the person who's actually playing Black Manta right now to do this. Mm-hmm. It would be great. It would be truly great. All right. Well, that wraps up our episode. Um, join us next time as we continue on this arc. We'll be heading to not Dakota City as we meet up with uh, Rocket to see what she's up to. In the meantime, be sure to check us out on our socials and Patreon for more content. And be sure to take care of yourselves. And remember the most important thing of all. If you end up being trapped in a cave for a couple weeks, pack a razor or an electric shaver. I believe most of them are waterproof because you don't want to end up with like, I don't know, like a month's worth of just beard and hair. Unless you're into that kind of thing. I personally just am not. <laughs> yeah. And if Vandal Savage asks about your DNA, say no. Mm-hmm. Say no. Your brain will end up in an Atlantean king that was lived like 3,000 years ago. Guaranteed. Every time. Or even worse, your body will be taken over by Orm. I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod. 